pardon me for being rude, it was not me, it was my food. It just popped up to say hello, and now it's gone back down below. My name is Matthew Kroll. And there's nothing more pathetic than an aging hipster. My name is Shahir Dowd. Ah, and this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. Do you think we're, uh, given that we're at the epicenter of the coronavirus, we are international men of mystery? No, I think everyone knows exactly what's going on with us because we're trapped in our homes. No, they don't know what's going on. That's the thing. We're inside. We're men of mystery. We're hiding away, right? That's what makes it, that. That's the Austin Powers of 2020. He turns up and has to hide away. Uh, okay, so I just took a screen grab of your setup. This is... <laughs> <laughs> this is your mystery. We can post it later if you want uh, yeah. to show the world how mysterious you are. I'm mysteriously, I'm in the closet. I can officially say that. I am in the closet right now. I mean, it is the most soundproof place uh, uh, in your apartment. So uh, That is true. But also all that bullying I received when I was <laughs> a kid has finally come true. Well, re regardless, we uh, decided this week, uh, I, I asked and Shahir acquiesced. Uh, that we acquiesced or acquiesced? Is it acquiesced? Yeah, I think it's acquiesced. You can't acquiesced. Email us in. Acquiesced. Yeah, email us in. Onlymoviepodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. I would love it if someone corrected my grammar, um, me on this one. I I could go either way, but yeah. the 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 I I needed some some comfort food, Shahir, and I don't know if if high school age me had a more comfortable meal. Than the first, and I want to specify the first Austin Powers. Huh? What? So tell me why the first one specifically? Obviously, we can discount Goldmember because we all kind of acknowledge that that is probably the weak entry in the uh, in the franchise. But why was it the first one? Well, because, because me, it wasn't the first one. Oh, see, so, because it came out of nowhere. Like I, I yeah. you know, we all, and we'll get into this a little bit in a little, in a little in a second. But like Mike Myers was, you know, Mike Myers, and we all knew him from Wayne's World and SNL and all that jazz. Uh, some of the deeper cuts. So I married next murderer, etc. Oh my God! Yeah, she had a she had a night. What did she had a cat as simple as that? Yeah. Da 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> but but this but Austin Powers, it hit at the exact right moment for me. And it was a surprise, and it felt fresh at the time for young me. Uh, okay. But what? And, and it had that beautiful combination of because I was a young person, like all of the stuff it was parodying, and all uh, parodying, and all of the stuff that um, it was referencing, or even just pulling from for all the different characters. Like I knew kind of existed in the cultural zeitgeist, but I wasn't beaten down by it. And then he subverted all of the things, and then I don't know. And then by the time the second one hit, I just like. It was too much. Like, oh, okay. I, I didn't dislike the movie, but it didn't affect me as much as the first one did because, like, then Austin Powers was a known quantity. And okay. then it wasn't like, you know, you, you can never go home again, but apparently you can shop there. It's just a <laughs> bit of a, you know, it, there, you know, there's nothing wrong with cashing in. And the movie itself, the second one, is funny. But the, but International Man of Mystery, uh, man, I, uh, it's, I it's, it still gets me. And it could be nostalgia. It could be quality. could be both. How how often have you revisited it? Not often enough. Right. Uh, I bought the <laughs> maybe three or four years ago. I bought the Blu-ray trilogy for like ten dollars total, right? Uh, and I watched it then. So maybe three years ago, and then before that, man, not not for a long time. What about you? What's your uh, Austin Powers? What's your what's your <laughs> what's your history my, with this beloved character and <laughs> franchise? Uh, I have not revisited these at all since uh, college. So I was in college at the time when these movies came out. And I would say the, the closest thing that I can equate what Austin Powers meant to college, n not just college age here, but college age kids in New Zealand uh, in 1999, 2000. Well, 1997 is when this one came out. 1997 and then 1999 was Sh Spy Who yeah, yeah. Uh, very much akin. The, the closest analogy I can say is that it was very much like uh, Borat. Which is that everybody is walking around quoting this thing. Everybody is saying the exact same lines. This is the perfect water cooler, um, you know, like anyone can make that joke kind of thing. Yep. So, so Austin Powers was exactly, you know, the first first uh, film it was exact. Everyone was quoting Austin Powers himself. Maybe a little bit of Doctor Evil. Second movie came around. It was all Doctor Evil, and a little bit of Fat Bastard was the one that kind of came through. Uh -huh. Third movie, a little bit of Gold Member. Uh, you know, like I love gold. It's kind of my thing. thing. 
Yeah. Um, I recall this about seeing this, which was that the, the first, first one? one, the first one I saw in the theaters, and it was like, oh, that was fun. Didn't you know, like, and then the momentum of it kind of built up over time, and people started quoting it, people started talking about it, and then by the time the second one came around, the second one became an event. And what I recall about seeing the second one is the second one actually lived up um, to to what we were coming to expect. It was a bigger friend. It was a bigger entry into the franchise. Uh, it it's in my mind was probably funnier than the than the first one, but it delivered on what the first one had promised and the hype that had uh, that had steamrolled over that period of time. So I think for me, the first you know. Like the second one was kind of the one that really solidified the franchise, and the third one was a little bit of a disappointment. But I, but to be completely fair, um, I did not. I have not never revisited these ever uh, in my life. So you saw and, you saw this film once when you were in wait you were in college in ninety seven. I was in college, yeah, because I think I graduated high school in ninety six. So oh, okay. it would be my first or second year of uh, uh, first year of college. Um, and 99, yeah, I was, and 99, I was just gearing up to leave for the U.S. actually for my first exchange year in college. But here's the thing, as I had, um, I had, uh, knee surgery in, uh, 99, uh, just before. For injuries sustained while auditioning to be the Black Power Ranger. <laughs> actually, I can tell you the injury, it was sustained, the injury sustained by walking up some stairs. <laughs> Worse is... story than what I just made up. <laughs> I fell down and popped my kneecap Ooh. right, like Ooh. right out, and I, uh, tore my meniscus and had to like have my uh, just have some uh, cartilage pulled out. At any rate, uh, when I came out of surgery, uh, I was all kind of doped up on morphine, and I think I had recently seen Austin Powers. And the nurse came and said, "Oh, how are you doing?" And I was like, "I'm in quite a bit of pain. Maybe you could help me out just a little bit." And so she was like. And she, you know, obviously never seen me before, but she just like <laughs> dosed me up with more morphine, and so because she was like, because you were concerned. quoting Mustafa, the Will Ferrell I character. Was, I was quoting Mustafa, uh, and now Mustafa does Mustafa appear in the Spy Who Shagged Me? But the same gag appears in the Spy Who Shagged they're, Me, right? They're in, yeah, they're, yeah. No, he's back somehow, I believe. Yeah, and it's the same gag. So I think I because there's time travel that. in the second one. Oh, there you go. I have not revisited the second one, but this was your. I, I, I mean, I, you know, it's always our picks, but this was clearly something you really wanted to do. Oh, clearly. Um, well, I didn't suggest it. Was it was clearly. <laughs> um, so I'm. Uh, I, but I was. I was kind of curious to revisit. It. And as part of that revisiting, uh, I know I don't give much notice about this, but I, whenever I can, uh, I'm working very, very long hours right now, so I don't actually don't get much time to actually watch movies. I'm very jealous of people who are in self-isolation right now who are like, oh, I'm catching up with this and this and this. And I'm like, I have no time to watch anything. I am um, oddly busier than ever. This is the part of the show where Matt and Shahir bitch about how busy they are in quarantine. Yeah, I know. So First I hope you're problems. enjoying this. Email us yeah. in and let us know how much onlymoviepodcast, gmail.com. Um, I do give very, very short notice when this happens, but I'm trying to do, uh, I'm trying, whenever anything's any available on uh, Netflix, I'm using the Chrome extension Netflix Party, which allows us to kind of group watch uh, That's something. That's right. We, we did that on last, I think, Saturday, uh, maybe Saturday night, we watched a little bit of uh, Goodfellas with a couple people, and then uh, a few more people turned up for uh, Austin Powers, which I was really excited about. Really fun having uh, a group of people in there. I think there was four or five, maybe. Nice. Um, uh, who who were you know kind of chiming in every now and again? Uh, my wife was watching with us as well, so a sixth person, um, <laughs> and it was it was really uh, it was a lot of fun. So thank you for everyone who is uh, who is trying out that Chrome extension. It, I, it can be a little bit tricky, but uh, keep persisting. And I I will try to if I go watch anything, um, list anything on there, or if you are watching something, um, and you know we happen to be around, maybe we can dip into something you're watching. Uh, let us know if you if you'd like to do that. Um, via Twitter, only, via the Twitter yeah. machine. That's how you. Twitter is the it. primary one. Yeah, via uh, at onlymoviepod or email us in with your questions uh, at onlymoviepodcast at gmail .com. So Matt, um, I don't know where to begin with this one. Well, to be so, honest with you, so I mean, were you quoting him? Were you what, like, did you dress up as him at a party? I never. Dressed I feel up like as you would have. I, I mean, the doc, so Doctor Evil was my jam. I mean, Austin right. Powers as a character was fun. Doctor Evil was my brand, bread and butter. All other B analogies you could have. Uh, it, 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 the, you know, you know when there's certain things when you look back at them like ten years later and you're like, oh man. Uh part of my a piece of how I act in certain situations is based off this, and by this I mean various i'd say like maybe let's say 10 percent of my style of comedy really does come i think from mike myers 
Okay. And Dr. Evil plays into my whole, you know, villain obsession, but how yep. ridiculous villains can be. I mean, you've you've read projects from me about about b- like bumbling buffoonish villains before oh. multiple times. Like, oh yeah. This is my brand. Yeah. And I didn't quite realize how much of it was like, and if it, I don't know, like I go back and watch, like I was making, let's, I'm doing hard air quotes right now, movies on the VHS and the VHSC camera when I was like, you know, 13 or 14. And I go back and watch even some of the ones later in high school after Austin Powers. And it's just me like kind of ripping off and doing a different spin on the same kind of humor. Like this, this style that, that this film introduced uh had a long-lasting effect on not only what i thought was funny but how i also attempted to make people laugh and of course when it first came out and you're young you are quoting it you're doing the yeah babies you're doing one million dollars like you're doing all of that stuff yeah tucka 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 uh but the the (laughs) it it, that wasn't what like stuck stuck with me what stuck stuck with me is just the the farcical nature of a a comedy first action second uh type of scenario that that comes off as low budget but it's not like stylistically it sort of is i don't know it just it's, it's, it it really did have a stronger effect on me than i ever knew until i rewatched it like 10 years later it's definitely riffing on the old english you know like um uh, the, the the three movies that I picked out today that I think kind of really get at what it is the very the the English mod um, period you know yeah. so very much like the Avengers the the Emma Peel uh, storyline yep. you know the the old TV show uh, blow up the Michelangelo Antonioni film the Michael Caine movie the Ipcris Files which I've never seen before but I watched the trailer from today mm-hmm. where um, Michael Caine believes that this character was kind of based on his character from the Ipcris Files um, which I can kind of see but I think it's 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 an amalgam of a lot of things plus it's like a heavy parody because it's obviously it's an American film uh, you know riffing on a British British, uh, British well, archetype. Yeah, well, um, uh, Jim, uh, uh, the Mike Myers' father yeah. loved British British television, British comedies, and British sort of actiony type stuff. So he was just inundated with it consistently. I mean, yeah. there's so many different things that people are like that have thought of, like, oh, like Michael Caine thinks it's that sort of thing, and of course he played Austin Powers' father in Number Brother, Three, which yeah. I thought was the only really strong part of Three. Um, <laughs> The but like also like I, I did some deep diving into like the 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 quintessential like aspects of where Austin Powers came from. Right. And there there was a nineteen sixty-six television show called Adam Adamant. Okay. Uh where it was about a um uh, 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 and I watched a little bit of it. It's it's a trip. Uh yeah. the it's like about a detective from nineteen oh two that gets frozen and is now in the nineteen sixties. Right. Okay. So an inverse. Right? Yeah. Or like, or a, or, or a rewind yeah, the, or something. Yeah. Uh, and then there's also other other shows like Simon D, uh, who is a, I believe, a radio uh, personality uh, or a, a on camera personality in Britain as well. That sort of like different aspects of Austin Powers came from these different characters. I'm sure Michael Caine's in there, but it's it's just an amalgamation of what basically Mike Myers' father loved when he was a kid and he was really like immersed in. Right. Um. So I, I I love it when you can take things like that and sort of I mean it is a farce but he's also paying a lot of homage throughout this thing to all of those things. Yeah, it's done with you know uh, it's done with a degree of love and affection that I think is kind of um, evident today. And I and I so there was a a, a listener I believe uh, uh, who popped in uh, who had never seen these before. Oh wow! Um, you know, so had never seen these and wasn't even a. Uh, um, uh, born when the uh, the originals came out, and it was like oh boy. it was hard to stress how big a deal these films were, and I and I'm not sure there's an analogous comedy today other than maybe Borat. You know, like uh, the, the only thing I can kind of think of that was as big a deal that as seeped quotable. into the zeitgeist. Yeah, yeah, it seeped into the complete zeitgeist of everyone around. Um, but you know, like again, these movies made you know in in the first one didn't do. Huge numbers comparatively, right. but from a sixteen million dollar budget, this thing pulled like sixty seven million dollars, which is a 
enough to green light a sequel, of course. Uh-huh. Um, but the second made $312 million off a $30 million budget. So, yeah. you know, a huge hit. The third one almost, you know, slightly lower, but, you know, pulling in a $296 million. These things grossed about $200 million off, like, a sub $50 million budget. So that's a that's a pretty big hit, in, eminently quotable. And what I think the amazing thing about it is, um, is how they just called an end to it. Now, there's been rumors of Austin Powers coming back as, you know, Mike Myers talking about revisiting the character. But this is one where, you know, the last film was in 2002, uh, nearly 20 years ago, and they have not revisited this. They have not. And I think it's, I think essentially it's because Mike Myers himself has kind of uh, receded away from the public eye, Mm -hmm. um, you know, except for, you know, being in things like Bohemian Rhapsody to pay homage to the person that got him successful in the first place. Um, But Mike Myers essentially receded away Away from the public's, you know, public spotlight, and the character is, you know, th- this entire thing hinges upon his involvement. So I think it's been, it's an interesting franchise in that in that respect, which is that it's not one that I think people are eager to 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 continue despite being ha- uh, such a phenomenal success. And and the thing that you know I was sort of curious about is. Uh, there weren't a lot of films like this when they came when it came out. So you know the highest you got to remember the time at which this came out. The highest grossing film, you know, the films that were that were um, that were taking place in the public uh, spectrum around then were Titanic, yeah, uh, Jura- you know, Men in Black. So the blockbuster, you know, summer release was you know was uh, rearing its ugly head or you know its head as the as the as the main tenant of what that year would be defined and Austin Powers would never really ascend to you know those kinds of numbers but it's still a pretty pretty solid money maker and I'm surprised I guess maybe there is some potential for this to be brought back and and the question that really got asked in our group screening session was what does this hold up today and how would this character and the the essential conceit of what's happening in Austin Powers, how would that work in 2020? Well, yeah, well, there's two sort of uh, two sort of parts to that question. But even before we do that, we should sure. probably find out what this movie's about via the Internet Movie Database's description. It's about uh, shagging, right? Yeah, that's all it's... That's it. Listen, if IMDb just said shagging, baby, yeah, for the description, <laughs> I would uh, send them $5. Uh, <laughs> it would be... I would find the Mr. Mr. Database's home and uh, mail them a check for five American doll hairs. No, this is what the description of the film says on IMDb, and that is... A 1960s secret agent is brought out of cryo-freeze to oppose his greatest enemy in the 1990s, where his social attitudes are glaringly out of place. Out of place. Out of time, out of place, fish out of water. So um, so to, to answer your question, I want to answer it in two parts, or to discuss it in two parts. I don't know if I have the answer, because the, the, I think asking how it fits into today's culture is sort of a twofold question. How does the actual rewatch of Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery fit into our culture today? And how could a sequel make sense or fit into our zeitgeist in 2020 if it were made right now? Um, the first part, shit, rewatching this is wild. It's a film about being, uh, out of touch and out of time being watched in a time where it's messages. Part of them are more true. Part of them are less true, but it's still like almost 30 years, like the characters to what we're, uh, to where we are now, sixties to nineties to 2020, and I know this takes place in 90, 97, but I'm stretching the math a little bit. But it's roughly 30-year chunks between. Right. Like, and, and so, like, it's the 60s views sort of like with, uh, you know, sexism, free love, et cetera. The 90s when things were when, – when those things weren't serious anymore, but they were punchlines and they were still sort of around, but, like, there were still people fighting back to those things. And then the right. 2020s. When hopefully some of the stuff that was just a punchline is actually, you know, becoming a social norm when you're respecting people in various ways of different uh, sexes, genders, uh, orientations, etc. Um, a, a lot of other different things. So, so watching this now, it's like a weird funhouse social mirror. Like, okay, it, 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 
it, there's a lot to sort of unpack. Did you notice, I mean, how did you react to hear, and not just specific jokes, but let's talk about the tone and the the lesson, or let's say, that the character of the Austin's sort of personal journey and how that reflects on these time periods. Well, first off, I think I want to talk just just specifically about the type of comedy this is and the sure. way that the comedy operates in this. Because the messaging, you know, the actual narrative of the film is, is incredibly slight and purposely incredibly slight yeah. because the film's comedic tropes are based as very, very heavily on repetition. And and Jay Roach, the director, wrote uh, this thing, which he said uh, that that this film could be ten percent action and ninety percent reaction is the yes. is the primary mode of operation. So a lot of the jokes work in that sort of vein of uh, tell it once, it's mildly amusing. Tell it twice, it's like what are we doing? And tell it three times, and it finally becomes funny. And I think that's kind of how the movie operates. And I think on that level, as as far as like comedic timing uh, or co comedic writing works. I think it works very, very well. Like um, the 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 Robert Wagner character, number two, you know, leading into uh, who does number two work for while in the bathroom and Tom Arnold next door, you know, how about a courtesy flush? I think that's all great setup, payoff, repeating gags, you know, and then Dr. Evil is all about that sort of uh, rip narrative repetition, you know, like just keep saying the joke until it becomes funny. Uh, keep plugging away to it, and it, and it really and Mike Myers, you know, has that sort of um, wonderful ability to be self uh, self effacing while doing that. Right. You know, like he really he this character, if played by any other actor with like uh, a sort of an, a slight intonation, one degree left or right, um, turns into something quite problematic and quite um uh quite repugnant very very quickly yeah but because because mike myers is playing it and he has that sort of uh somewhat wry charm to it it really lands for that reason on the on the quick note of of, of characters and playing them and actors playing them did you know that jim carrey was supposed to be dr evil but it conflicted Ugh. but it conflicted with liar liar I, you know what? I actually don't think that would be a terrible piece of casting. I think that would be a pretty reasonable piece of casting. But could you imagine? <laughs> I like thinking of butterfly effects in this. Like, the how <laughs> there would be aspects of the world that would be completely different based on different casting choices of Dr. Evil. Well, the, the, the thing that was amazing watching it, because I, I guess I always found Austin Powers not to be a very, like, he himself was not a particularly enjoyable character for me. Right. Uh, but Dr. Evil was. Yes. Dr. Evil was a character. I was like, I could do a whole Dr. Evil movie. And yep. essentially, The Spy Who Shagged Me is it's... a much heavier Dr. Evil movie. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like it was. And I think the, the, the problem with the third film is that they try to introduce this new character, Goldmember, who is just kind of gross yeah. uh, for the most part. Um, you know, it's a, it's a fine line. And you can see where the line gets crossed uh, for the audiences, uh, for the audience. I think um, for me, the reason. The reason Doctor Evil's um, Doctor Evil's origin point, or is the point at which the audience is is entering this character, is one where we don't care if we like him or not. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter if we're into him. And so the directions they go with his character and his character negotiating both fatherhood and responsibility and being out of time um, is actually kind of fun to watch. And Myers, you know, gives a great. Uh, unique performance in that respect. Obviously, he's, he's borrowing from uh, I think it's Blowfield. Yeah, uh, from Doctor No. Is that the yeah. one? Yeah. He's, so, he's, so it's, it, it, like unlike Austin Powers, he's less of a composite, more of a direct yep. riff on that character. Um, so I think Doctor Evil is the secret weapon of Austin Powers. Oh yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, and I think it's, it's funny because like I liked them both equally in the first film, and in the yeah. second and third film, I'm like, just put Doctor Evil on the screen and stop. Stop yeah. referencing your first movie. <laughs> well, because the issue here is that uh, Austin Powers really has one note. Yes, and 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 that one note is I am a, uh, I am a well, and this is me paraphrasing the way I think the movie wants it to operate. Yeah, which is that I am a harmless misogynist from 1960s, and I'm going to learn that that is not okay anymore. I'm but I'm still lovable. You know, that's kind of his one note. Yeah. Um, and I I will be honest on that. In in that respect, I did find that 
the issue here isn't necessarily with the lightheartedness of the film. You know, that's kind of the saving grace of the movie. Yeah. The issue is is that the movie itself does leer in, lean into the sort of um, worldview that Austin Powers has, um, which is that Austin Powers fundamentally believes that um, women are women are somewhat beneath his capabilities. And he treats them as such, and and the and and the the lesson plan of the movie is to kind of is to kind of get him out of that point out of that point of view, but the movie itself, you know, um, kind of leans into that. How so? Um, because I I I get it's especially from you know pr- protagonist point of view, I a hundred percent sort of see it, but I also think it the 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 film itself's journey, or what what it's showing us is that is definitely Austin's. Um, opinion and the way he acts, no question. But the film goes out of its way on a multitude of levels to undercut his credibility, his his uh, effectiveness, like a, a lot of different ways where the movie is constantly showing this guy is a buffoon. I, I think it's constantly showing that he is a buffoon. That is, that is correct. But I think the way it treats Elizabeth Hurley's character as sick and banana to Austin Powers... Uh, is is part of the way the film leans into the idea that this is still a man, you know, like nineteen ninety, uh, what is it, nineteen ninety seven? Yes, nineteen ninety seven is still a man's world, um, and you know things like it, the things that I noticed the second time around, um, I, and, and you know, like we had to remember who Elizabeth Hurley was at that period of point, you know, time she was, you know, famously uh, 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 a model, but who was dating Hugh Jack, uh, Hugh Grant. Uh, it was funny. My wife, who sort of pointed this out, like she watched, she was watching, and Elizabeth Hurley was on screen, and she was like, "Is this the time of that dress?" And I was like, "That dress?" And she was like, "Yeah, you remember the dress, right?" And what I was dress? Like, oh, the dress. So she, Elizabeth Hurley, wore a dress to uh, the Austin Powers premiere, and it was uh, uh, a moment in fashion history that everyone who you know cares about fashion... And when I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, the dress. I forgot about the dress. The dress was like... She wore this dress that was like a safety pin dress. Um, it was a black dress where, where the main connective points were safety pins. Okay. Uh, large safety pins. So it was exposing more skin than I think we were used to at that point. And it was like, and if you think about like Jennifer Lopez walking the red carpet at the Oscars and was it 2002 or something like that? Elizabeth Hurley, I, Elizabeth Hurley walking the Austin Powers premieres in the black dress. Uh, if you look up Wikipedia, Wikipedia refers to it as that dress. Wow. Um, it is, it was a, it was a big moment, uh, in fashion. Uh, not that I know a lot about fashion. Uh, I think Jamie would be interested, would be. I bet you that Jamie knows the dress. Yeah. Yeah. Jamie knows the dress. Um, but the, uh, I think the, you know, the things that I noticed were like, for example, when they get into um, the 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 pet of uh, sea bass with do they do the sea bass have lasers? No, but they're very no, they're angry, ill-tempered, right? ill-tempered sea bass. Is Mutated. That, is that is that Elizabeth Hurley's character has the tool sets and the wherewithal to get them out of the situation, but she still defers yeah. to Austin yep. all the time. And in fact, it's Austin's role to to be the man of action. You know, he's still directing the action. He's still in charge, even though she is the agent. And no, I think- that's very true. Actually, well, she's not at that point, but it still plays to your point. <laughs> she, she's a junior agent throughout the entire movie, and at the end, yeah. during the second gag of the, the nudity um, yeah. stuff, they're like, and now you're full agent. And, and it's she's like, like, oh, that's great. <laughs> you cool. know, it, but it's clear. Yeah, it's that makes sense. The, the arc of the film for her is whether she will sleep or not sleep with Austin Powers as opposed to anything else. Now, yeah. again, no, I'm, that's not trying very to be, true. I'm not trying to be, you know, like overly uh, harsh on this film because I think in terms of looking at it as a time capsule, we do have to remember where this was. But there, I found an interesting article, uh, by, which I sent to you earlier today. Um, yeah, I read uh, it. Called, um, trans- uh, uh, it was a... A book called, uh, called In a Queer Place, Time and Place by Judith Halberstam. Mm-hmm. And the chapter was specifically about Austin Powers and the drag kings, as it was talking about. Yeah. But essentially, the article is talking about this crisis of masculinity that's happening 
uh, around 1997. And if you, you know, if you think about the earlier turning points in masculine in in sort of cinema displays of masculinity, where we're thinking about you know the Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, you know Sylvester Stallone mode of the action hero, which slowly morphs into the Bruce Willis mode of the action hero being the everyman. It actually and doesn't movie, slowly mold; it crashes into it. it. Cr- yeah, that that movie really is a linchpin in sort of shifting that paradigm away quite in, in quite significantly. And Austin Powers kind of plays more into this idea of the crisis of masculinity. And what uh, Halberstam talks about is that there is this underlying crisis of like the idea that masculinity in this period is is not coming to the realization of what it means to be a grown man. Uh, which is which you know like previous films had kind of done you know like essentially the the sort of the man child growing up is the sort of uh, process of comedy yeah you're Billy Madison's and yeah yeah, that, yeah yeah all that sort of stuff but this is the crisis of masculinity which suggests that grow once you've grown into the man you realize that there's a falsehood behind the idea of that masculinity and and in the case of Austin Powers it is acknowledging that he is you know uh, taking you know he was taking this new place in the world where he acknowledges that he his beliefs about what it is to be a man are entirely wrong. So it's not about the man-child, it's about the man realizing that he is um, uh, out of place with what he believed masculinity was. Now that's, and I think I think the film ultimately plays well within that spectrum. However, uh, you know, the narrative does. However, the film itself is still firmly cemented in a 1997 mentality. And I think that's the part that would change today it's, in 2020. It's very interesting because, and this is why I went back to the three time periods. Yeah. So you have the 1960s Austin, who is who he is that we've already described. Then you have 1990s, which is Austin sort of learning his lesson, but the film that we're watching both in, in the 90s and now is poking fun at these things and saying we should learn a lesson while also engaging with the things it's telling us we should learn a lesson about in a less than academic way. Again, it's a comedy. They're doing some things that are supposed to uh, push some buttons, but that's not even exactly what we're – your point exactly of the moment of them escaping the sea bass uh, is the entire telling of the enti- of, of this particular issue. And then you have a rewatch in 2020 where you can actually see – like the things that got right and that were fought against and and have, have sort of moved forward and then the things that are still stuck. Elizabeth Hurley's arc, definitely one of them. I think honestly the the other two sort of cringeworthy things for me in this film, uh, which otherwise I think I, I really do love, uh, the 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 punching Basil's mom moment. Sure. Yeah, uh, and that the, there's it a really doesn't great, quite uh, land anymore. And yeah. and honestly, I didn't realize Will Ferrell basically goes brownface. Yeah, he he play. You know, um, I mean, look, I I'm used to uh, Peter Sellers playing an Indian. So sure, I, it did. It didn't. It was bother just weird. So much. I, I just <laughs> didn't catch it before. I don't know why. I knew the character's yeah. name was Mustafa, but like watching it, I was like, huh. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it, these are things that we are, you know, thankfully, I think, in a way, more sensitive to sure. and more appreciative of the impact of that kind of work, uh, you know, like what that actually does. And I think I think the thing is is to think about is, again, you know, the, the equation we kind of have talked about a lot is what does a young girl watching this film get out of it in terms yeah. of where their place is in the world? And, and I think, you know, the film ultimately kind of sets up this idea that while... Um, you know, uh, Elizabeth Hurley's character is, uh, what is her name, by the way? I really should. Vanessa. Vanessa is there to kind of guide Austin through the, um, through the journey he is going to take. She is still second banana to, to his character and his character arcs, you know, and I think, you know, we're, and, and, you know, an interesting example of this is Mad Max Fury Road, where we have Mad Max, you know, taking, you know, being guided upon a journey, you know, by Furiosa, but realizing that ultimately the journey is hers, yeah. not his. Yeah. Um, and, and that movie still retains being Mad Max while doing that. And and that and I think that is just a, a sort of an interesting placement of where this movie comes from, the thinking that this movie has. The the art, the movie that that uh, Halberstam kind of refers to in contrast to um, Austin Powers is the full Monty. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, and I think, you know, like her, her comparison of the full Monty and, and uh, Austin Powers is really fascinating to think about. You know, both movies came out at the same time. Both movies were surprise hits Um, and both address this crisis of masculinity that these films uh, adhere to, you know? And, and I think that's the part of the film that really, I think 
is the is the time capsule of this film is the idea of like looking at what 1997 means, you know, meant to men in America. And I think, um, and, and looking at what calling out the sixties looked like in 1997. Yeah. And therefore what does 1997 look like to 2020? Right. Like we're basically calling it out now. Like it's just, it's very interesting. And yeah, I didn't expect a, to to think about it as deeply this time, but I guess we're we're getting old, Shahir. We're getting uh, old, and and that's what we should be doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because but but you know, like fundamentally, the gags work. You know, like most of the time, the gags really work, and I think they work because of that. The 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 script writing mechanics are firmly in place here. Like I I I often think with a lot of um you know a, a lot of Will Ferrell comedies that that people seem to love, like Anchorman and um. Uh, Step Brothers, for example, yeah. you know, th- those movies have found cult fandoms, no doubt about it. But I've often kind of never really um, landed, you know, never really resonated with them is because I think the mechanics of them are in place to set up a bit, you know, like so. They're riffing. So, yeah. Yeah. They're just riffing. It feels like they're riffing. I'm sure there's more to it than that. I haven't revisited those films as much as, as there's much a as lot of riffing and there's nothing wrong with it. It's just different. It's a different structure than this. Yeah, and this is this feels very specific. Like it's very it's riffing on a very specific thing. I guess as so, as is Anchorman, but then the sit up and payoffs that that Myers seems to build in here are very clever. You know, again that that number two thing is really great. That idea, the one billion dollars, even Robert Wagner's kind of. Uh, final act showdown, which is like, look, I've built this company into a billion dollar enterprise and you're too idiotic to even realize what that means. Yeah. You know, like everything we're doing here is ridiculous. Um, I think those kinds of like sit ups and payoffs are really smart and really play well. The 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 question of what could you make uh, you cannot. I, I don't think you can make this movie today or no. you shouldn't make this movie today. You more importantly. Could. Um, but, but the more important thing is that today, I think this movie needs to address the Vanessa character. Now, I think Goldmember and, um, The Spy Who Shagged Me, you know, again, casting a similar type of, uh, actress into that sort of lead role, but again, just, playing second banana to Austin Powers. I always did Graham like and Beyonce, right? It was, uh, yeah. And I, and the way that, and I know that, um, Liz Hurley was, was in on the, her exit, uh, yeah. because she was in the film. But I actually really liked Vanessa as a character. I know she wasn't treated as well. I was kind of hoping, like, oh, in a sequel, like maybe they'll they'll do something with that character. And instead, they just got rid of her for Heather Graham to then kind of do the same thing again. And I understand that these are joke delivery vehicles. But the first one married, like, a dumb plot, but still a plot, like. To, to a bunch of very fun, memorable, highly quotable moments. And and then literally they took one of the main characters were like, nah, whatever, and like reset Austin, which is weird. And like then they just do the jokes again. So like, again, I enjoy the second one. But uh, I, I there's something inevitably special about the first one. I still, I, I didn't realize this until I watched it the other, the other day. I don't quote this movie often, but yeah. one thing I I do still do is when I'm doing bad dancing, like on purpose, like in oh, to, the tucka 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 thing, tucka 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 tucka, huh? Yeah. That's literally a go-to thing, and I don't even think about Doctor Evil when I do it. I just do it, and it's and it's and it's. This movie is ingrained in me. I bet you, I could probably quote most of the entire thing. Well. I, I think that's a great point is that the movie does, you know, like, look, we're talking about a movie here that is uh, a cultural touch point. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's a massive film. And and so when we say it's ingrained in you, we have to sort of acknowledge maybe in some part that the good and the bad are ingrained in us. And the oh, sub, yeah. And the sub the subtext of what is ingrained in this is problematic. Yes. And 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 like jokes, the, good subtext, bad. Yeah, you know, and and you know, we we see this all the time. You know, when we're looking in the past, we're sort of like archaeologists digging up, you know, a previous culture and kind of trying to view it through the lens of which it previous you know, which it sexist dinosaur bones. Yeah, but 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 you know, so so you don't want to. 
you know, like you don't want to dissuade people from acknowledging that the that the comedy can be a lot of fun, and if taken in the right context, you know, is kind of harmless. But it's that part that 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 you just mentioned, which is that it's ingrained in with you, and like the way in which people were quoting this movie, and the way in which people were dressing up as fembots and that sort of thing. It's the underlying sense of like what this means uh, to a culture overall, and I and I and I think it's just it to to me. What's interesting is about how much of a time capsule this particular film is. A movie um, about a time. Time capsule becoming yeah, a, a movie time about capsule. a time capsule. You know, it's interesting that it plays with that idea. Um, it's you know the expectation game with this film is not high. Like we're not expecting it to um, to be profound in any way, um, we, which is probably why we let it go. You know, like we let go the sort of capacity it has for for messaging because it's just kind of you know like quote unquote harmless fun. Um, and I think ultimately it just has to be viewed with that context of like, is it, is it entirely harmless or can, can we view it with a li- with a slightly more analytical eye to kind of think about it in a way that like, you know, shifts our paradigm about how a movie like this would exist today. And when you do look at it like that, I honestly think this film as much as something can when discussing these types of complex things in a raunchy comedy kind of breaks even on the morality scale. Okay. And I think that's why it is working. overall har- quote unquote harmless. Show because me, show me your show me your working. So uh, on so that. I want to so hear your math. The math is the story of the film, and I'm not talking about how the story is told, but what the characters go through. Talks about uh, basically uh, how a, a version of toxic masculinity is bad. People have evolved beyond it. Uh, also, a version of sort of like, <laughs> to a lesser point, a version of evil has evolved and moved beyond it. You know, the two yeah. journeys are very similar. Um, and then eventually, uh, the character of Austin Powers supposedly grows and settles down and like starts respecting women and isn't a huge jackass all of the time. Like, still a silly goofball, but not like a not a not a raging misogynist. Right. Um, that's good. The message behind that story is good. But how the story is told and the way that, say, Vanessa is treated, and again, it's not overtly. Like, on the surface, Vanessa does reject him and try to change him and help him, but it's the way that she does it and the way that the film has her act. Again, I think it's a great call-out you mentioned about the ill-tempered mutated sea bass scene. She has all of the tools and she won't do anything and she keeps handing the stuff to Austin. Like I think she, you know again thinking about where she comes from. She is a parody of a Bond girl, right? Yes. You know, and and, and But but and, but the film, hold on. On that note, the film is going out of its way to tell us that she is super effective and it does a lot of different verbal and and joke cues to show us how more competent she is than Austin. But in the very few action sequences in this film, there's only a few, um, she instantly goes back to straight Bond girl. And yeah. that's weird. So And well, so, and the casting of who who they cast in that role is the kind of casting that suggests the Bond girl as well, right? She yeah, is, but but you know, but, the film even riffs on the halata vagina thing as well. I mean, know, like yeah, the, a, yeah of a course. secondary. Yeah. And you know the, the the thing that actually like really stood out to me uh as surprising <laughs> was the fact that Vanessa's mother is encouraging her to sleep with Austin. Yeah, because she always wanted to. Yeah, she always wanted to. And I was like, "Oh, that this is weird." You know, like this is the part of the film that kind of was like, you know, and I and I guess, you know, on the spectrum of the Bechdel test, this is this is a prime example of what they're talking <laughs> about with the Bechdel test. You know, it was like, "Can two women have a conversation in a film where they're not talking about the main uh talking about a man?" And this is clearly a film which does not exist in that spectrum. Yeah. And I think, you know, like the underlying thoughts about what the Bechdel test are are essentially pointing out that they're that that while you know like you and I as two young males who watched this movie in 1997 can kind of go ah it's just you know a bit of lighthearted fun it was like what is the actual implications of this if you're watching this and you're a female you know like what is the implications of this if you're a younger female watching this film um, what what are the implications if you're an older female watching this movie and you think about you know your place in the world uh, what does it tell us about you know like we still have you know we still confront the issues of the fact that that, that many voters in America wouldn't vote for Hillary Clinton because she was a woman right. 
Right. You know, like that 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 kind of that sense of like what is the capacity of a man versus the capacity of a woman, um, you know, is something to really think about in terms of this film. And so it's what, not leveling it at the film. It's just looking at like how do we treat character, you know, you know, people of different races and different genders in film. Exactly, and that's why I think again I kind of go back to. With all of the sort of the the pros and cons of this thing's existence, it and the fact that it is presented in a benign way, even if the messages that it has in the underlying are not, I that's why I feel like it sort of breaks even on the morality spectrum of of a movie. Um, right. the, yeah, and also you know we've been talking a lot about sort of what Austin Powers means. I do wanna I do wanna touch a little bit on some of the other things that kind of helped make it a cultural touch, touch point. Uh, w- one of which being uh, straight up, and I, I know this because I burnt this disc into my uh, discman while mowing the lawn forever. Uh, the soundtrack of this film is phenomenal. Yeah, there's, uh, the the actual, um, the thing that works for me is both the uh, the Soul Bossa Nova, the, you know, like, that that was... Soul Bossa everywhere. Nova. You got Strawberry Alarm Clock. You got Quincy Jones. You got the Divinals. You got two or three different Burke Bacharach songs. You got... The one that I'd forgotten about was the Magic Piper, uh, Magic Piper of, of Love. Of Love. That track is killer. Yeah. Uh, also, weirdly enough, because this happened back then... Mike Myers got together with because like his wife or his I forget if it was a girlfriend at the time was friends with um with um Matthew Sweet uh, and the Bangles uh, Susanna Hoffs and they okay. made a band called Ming T where okay. Mike Myers as Austin Powers and this band called Ming T would go around L A and just do gigs. Okay. Like and like, th- there's a there's the song on the soundtrack called uh, the BBC, which is just Austin Powers like singing like eight lines about the BBC. Like, okay. there, this movie did such a good job at not only being funny and doing jokes that then everyone could tell and therefore uh, would enter the cultural zeitgeist, but of inserting Austin Powers into being a thing that felt like it always existed for like 15, 20 years. Like, I, I'm fascinated to discuss. Uh, with people, email us in, onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com if you haven't ever seen Austin Powers or if you weren't alive when this came out. No, actually, more so if you haven't seen Austin Powers yet and you watched it now. Yeah. I want to know if you could even fathom a world where this was a cultural touch point. (laughs) Yeah, and... um... I think, uh, you know, as a, as a listener, um, Terrace Man always, you know, Terrace Man was actually the person who hadn't seen it, but was in, oh, the, wow. uh, in the screening as well. Uh, you know, he wrote us an email in after the screening um, uh, that I think while funny and charming as only a 90s Mike Myers movie could be, I think it doesn't have enough meat on its bones to survive, uh, survive the hard-cutting world, hard-cutting world that we would have to take place in order to, to work in today's generally PC, more family movie market. And because the jokes are essentially... I so essentially the movie it would kill most of the enjoyment for me for many more I assume. Um I I you know I think there's a space for this kind of comedy and I think there's a space for like being uh sensitive to what it what the implications of this kind of comedy are. That 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 is a that is a sort of elevated thing that we have to you know like that is very hard to find. You know like I think again the reason why Mad Max Fury Road is the is the is the inception point of this podcast is that it does that so well. Yeah. You know like it is it is such a a good touch point for what that is. I think you know for like how can a movie can survive today. Yeah, I think today's Austin Powers is basically Deadpool. Yeah, I wonder. Hmm. So because me, they do a lot of the beat that. the dead horse jokes. Yeah, it's not it's not parody by any means, but it does poke fun at a lot of things. Mm. I, again, it's not a perfect analogy, but I can't think of another. Th- like maybe Deadpool is the 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 two thousands sort of answer to remember- this kind of thing. And if you remember our critique of uh, Deadpool two when we talked about the. Uh, uh, girlfriend character Monica Baccarino, uh, Baccar- I can never forgot her. Move- oh, from Serenity, you know who she is. Uh, yes. You know the the sort of dead character in the second film. You know, like coming back. It is kind of, you know, the the questions of like how can we get past this point is kind of interesting, and I think I think worth exploring. Now again, yeah. I I do think. I do think for you and I, the film is benign, and I think the film is sort of harmless for you and I. But I don't necessarily think that it's it's exempt from from critique. 
because of where we come from. Oh, I agree. I never said that. I'm saying once critiqued, if you look at like bad a movie does and good a movie does, it probably levels out to even depending on. I mean, you could obviously tilt it a couple different ways if you wanted to. I'm, I guess, for that critique, I guess personally, that's where I land. Even as, and this is not coming from. Uh, you know, 16-year-old me, this is coming from, like, 37-year-old me. <laughs> right. No, and I, and, that, and that's what I mean, is that our point of views would probably find this benign. And I, and I, I, I me, generally find it benign. But but the question is, is, like, would I show it to my kid? Would I show it to if I had a daughter? That's the question where I don't, I, I think the, the, the balance of the equation that you're talking about would change. Um, would it be benign if, if we're thinking about it from those points of view? I mean, that's a personal choice at that point. I mean, or, you know, like uh, of, of another human being watching this film. Uh, yeah. po- possibly not. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, th- that's kind of where I land on yeah. it anyway, is that I, I do think ultimately it, it, it re- it's worth a rewatch. It's kind of fun. It, it, you know, I think for me, it's a great example of gag repetition. It really, it, that's, that's the heart of where this thing works. You know, like, uh, like uh, the evacuation gag at the beginning where he's peeing and it kind of just keeps going and going and going and going. I think this is a great example of like what this kind of humor can be like, you know, like how it can work in, a, in its best form. It's not my favorite Mike Myers thing. I think the Dr. Evil part is my favorite, is, is, is the thing that really lands for me. I do, I, I do have a real soft part for So I Married an Axe Murderer. It's that's a great the, film. That, that's, that's peak Mike, you know, peak of what I like about Mike Myers as an artist. I think overall, I like Wayne's World better than yeah. Austin Powers. Yep. Um, but, it does a similar. It's a similar, uh, similar mode of operation, though. Yes, and Mike. Uh, sorry, uh, Wayne's World has more of a leash on it. Right. Um. This is sort of <laughs> Mike Myers just let go. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, this was a, it's it was a relatively small budget. I mean, I guess 1997 terms for this kind of comedy, but it's a 16 million dollar budget, and he had to fight to get it. And I think it was New Line's um, Michael DeLuca and Bob Shea who actually greenlit this thing. Uh, you know, after it got rejected in a lot of places, but he, you know, he was still coming off Wayne's World at this point. Yep. Um, but uh, there, there, they were. You know, New Line Cinema at that time was the kind of indie indie place for movies yeah. you know like you know they they were the they were the people that uh gave us uh quentin tarantino and pt anderson you know so i think it was kind of fun the, here's an interesting um here's an interesting thing that i think i saw this week which was that fiona apple who used to date pt anderson for a short period of time wrote an interview uh about her new uh, movie com- uh, her new album coming out and she wrote this thing that got memed heavily or quoted heavily uh about uh, being in a room with Quentin Tarantino and P.T. Anderson while they were doing cocaine. And, and, she, was, and she was talking about how uh, if anyone could just be in that room, that would be enough of a, of a, um, uh, a diversion from not, never doing cocaine again. Because she was like, it was the most insufferable place to be. And, and you, you think about, I, I, I think about Fiona Apple and Vanessa as being analogous in these scenarios, which is that Fiona Apple is an amazing artist in, in her own right. Yep. But like being in this room, and I love me some P.T. Anderson and I love me some Quentin Tarantino, but being in this room and kind of being kind of forced to bear the 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 maleness of it all, you know, like even from, from two men who are kind of, um, you know, probably wonderfully sensitive to, to, to a female's point of view. Uh, you know, like I still think is that, you know, and this happened around 1997, around the period of those two guys. I'm just, I'm just kind of connecting those two dots in my brain in terms of like, what is Austin Power? How does Austin Powers plays if you're not one of us? I mean, there's also, uh, there's also a, a healthy dose of, um, whether deserved or not, uh, self praise in, in both situations. Um, how do you mean? Well, I, it, there's definitely a hundred percent. I understand the the sexist tones of it as well. But the the when when I <laughs> both Austin Powers and Quentin Tarantino and um, P. T. Anderson are uh, Austin Powers is a character, so this all doesn't quite make sense. But they are they are all let's just say they're all good at their jobs, or they're all supposed to be good at their jobs. They're some of the best at their jobs. So either the real world or the plot of a silly comedy in '97 tells us, right? 
<laughs> being in a room with any of those people would be insufferable. Would be insufferable. Because for many different reasons, one of which being... <laughs> no one likes listening to just a bunch of people talking about how right they are. Oh, my God. Could you imagine someone having to listen to us in the room? <laughs> oh, no. no. At least, oh, at least all... if we get insufferable, you can yeah. turn us off. But oh, like... no, but to all past and future guests, we know we're insufferable. Yeah, oh, yeah, of course. And then they leave and we, you know, it, it's fine. Um, and they back they, and, they yeah. never come back until they yeah. do. Um <laughs> I'm trying to think. I mean, I guess I guess here's my question, Shahir. This is my final question on Austin Powers International Man of Mystery. Do you think that you would say, "Oh, this is a funny movie. You should watch this to a person of age currently in 2020." And and it and it doesn't have to be a blanket statement. You could also say possibly to some or absolutely not to others. Or a so blanket statement. Uh, for me, I think it's a great exercise. I, I think it's a genuinely wonderful exercise in, co- in comedy writing and comedy execution. Beyond that, as Churchman says, it's a little thin. Yeah. But, you know, like, so it's not one of my knock it out the park th- kinds of movies, um, but it's one that I kind of enjoy from that point of view. Sure. Um, so you, you, know, you, like, would, you would suggest it from a, from a, uh, a technical or a learning perspective on a certain aspect of it. I guess maybe I'm like that with everything. Uh, but That's fair. Yeah, you know, uh, probably. I, I think, I, I, I think there's genuine pleasures to be had in it. Yeah, I would honestly, to answer my own question, uh, I would not. You would not recommend it. No, I, I, I think Wait, you you balanced it out as being benign. I I, I I said morally morally benign. What I'm saying is. I don't think it functions – I don't think from a – if you're watching a movie, if you're watching a comedy to enjoy a comedy, I don't know if if you didn't experience this when it happened, if the full film is fully – if you're going to get the most out of it. Like, I just huh. don't. And I can't – and that's kind of why I – This I, is I, a turn. This is, this is unusual because well, no, basically no, 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 no. I think I, I was more it's, – it's, it's weird because – I love this movie. Right. Um, but I, because it is so ingrained in me, and I can look at it from a technical aspect, and I can look at all of its flaws and at the problems that it brings with it, but that doesn't change how I feel about it. And that tells me, well, one, that I do think at the end of the day, morally it is benign, but two, that my love for it does have to have in some part be a, a, a healthy wallop of nostalgia. And that's not taking away the comedy skill that's being involved, but it, it, it has to be an amalgamation of all of those things and nostalgia so, being one of them. And so, the fact that I still on occasion quote things from this movie out of context uh, and don't even realize, like they've become a part of how I tell jokes sometimes that that's something where I'm like, Oh, Okay, I don't think I could ever come fully at this from a, uh, or easily come at this from a full, I could be 100% sure that nostalgia is not playing a factor for me. Um, I would be interested in hearing what people think about it. And I would be, I would love to hear a person who never saw it, watched it, and loved it. And I'm sure there's people out there like that. But but if, if I had to, like, wager, basically, like, if I had to show this to a room of 100 people who had never seen it before, who weren't alive at the time, I would wager that it would not hit with – it would it would fail more times than it would succeed. Huh. And if I had to go on those cold numbers, I would then say uh, I, I would – you know, there's a there's a bunch of other funny stuff you could watch. That's, a, that's really interesting. That's kind of a reversal of what I would have expected. But uh, I wonder at what point – because the thing I'm wondering about is the, the initial uh, incip- uh, in point for this film, for, for you choosing this film, was that it was comfort, right? Like, like we are in a period where um, – But it's comfort for me. It's comfort for people I think that have seen – it falls into that – it falls into that like, oh, man, I, I love this movie. I love thinking about seeing this movie. I love the time that I first saw this movie, and the movie's funny. Like, 
that sounds pretty dang comfy to me. Uh, you know what I? You know what movie I've been thinking a lot about this week, and uh, I think it was Baby Dread asked me on the you know like what, have we got any picks for the Criterion uh, collection this week? Uh, I picked up a copy of it. Was uh, Preston Sturge's film Sullivan's Travels? Mm. Uh, have you ever seen that? Uh, no, but I've heard of it. Okay, so Sullivan's Travels about a film director who is going out uh, and he wants to make the great American uh, epic about uh, the the time which we live in. So he wants to go down into the deep south and see the people who are suffering and who are uh, undergoing financial hardships. And, uh, you know, like he wants to make a movie of the people. So he and Veronica Lake decide to 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 slum it and, and go <laughs> undercover. And um, but what happens is, uh, you know, and there's a series of misadventures in the film um, uh, which get progressively darker and darker and darker. And at the end of the movie, uh, you know, spoilers for Sullivan's Travels, um, he actually go he I think he goes to prison for uh, murder or presumed murder. So he gets put he gets thrown into this like southern prison, like one of the worst southern prisons ever. Like he's put in a hot box for days. He's you know he's tortured and that sort of thing. He's got he's undergoing basically. He is now um, you know becoming the 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 uh, what was it the. Uh, the phrase the Richard, you know, he is the the Richard among us. Mm-hmm. Um, and while in that prison, uh, amongst his uh, fellow uh, prisoners, they play a Daffy Duck cartoon or a Donald Duck cartoon or something like that. And he suddenly his spirits are lifted, and he's like he sees everyone around him laughing and enjoying it. And he suddenly, as a director, he kind of realizes the value of in, you know like. Of entertaining people who have uh, who have been put upon, and so I, the reason I think about that movie is the fact of you know the fact that we are kind of essentially housebound upon among uh, one of the worst epidemics you know pandemics in our lifetimes, and what we're searching for, you know, like is this sense of escapism, and that escapism isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like escapism, even if it is you know like. Uh, like eating a bag of Oreos isn't necessarily a bad thing because in the context for which we live in, having a bag of Oreos can be a joy, you know? And, and I think that's not for your body, not for your body, but for your your mind. Yeah. For your mind, for your soul and for what you need at that time. So, you know, like I, I kind of come at it from a place and maybe, and this is odd that you and I have kind of uh, landing in these two different places for this, but I come at it from a place of like, I think there is value to this film. And I think there is, you know, like it is, it is skillfully done and it is kind of a a unique, um, uh, touch point from where it came from. Um, and and I'm I'm sort of fine with it. I do you know I have questions about it, and I think there can be conversations had as you watch it. Um, but I kind of I guess I land on the other side of the of of that question, which is like, would you recommend it? I was like, yeah, sure. See, you know, after four years of doing this, we still surprise each other. We do still surprise each other, don't we? Uh, this has been the only podcast about the film Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, baby. I added that baby at the end. Shahir, we've we've never we haven't done any we haven't done any we haven't like imitated the characters. And at I'm all. good. She, I'm, I'm good with that. I'm impressed. Shahir, when you are not shagging now or shagging later, where can folks find you? Dude, I'm a married man. I shag never. Um, <laughs> you can find me at my website www.shahirdad.com. It's s h a h i r d a u d dot com. Matt, when you are I guess you're, I mean, look, Matt, you're in complete isolation, right? Like, nobody's coming over to your place. There's not even a person in your house right now. I got my cat. I got Zoe. Oh, man. When you're, uh, yeah, baby, doing whatever it is you do, how, where can people find you? <laughs> you, you can find me uh, gently hiding my Swedish-made penis enlarger uh, <laughs> at com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, um, uh, at me for my friend code for uh, the Switch because I'm playing Animal Crossing uh, and it's a delight. You should totally what is do that. Animal Crossing? Animal Crossing is a Switch game where you build, uh, where you have a little person that you make to look like whatever you want, and you can design clothes and a town, and you basically get a deserted island, and you slowly but surely, in real time, build a little uh, town that's filled with anthropomorphic animals. It's also about hardcore capitalism. Um, and it's the perfect bomb right now. You can go to your other friend's islands. It's very, very fun. Or... On the other side of the spectrum, you can rip and tear until it's done and play the new Doom Eternal, which is baller. Uh, <laughs> those are my two escapes right now. What are your real quick, Shahir, What are your escape? Uh, you know, I know you don't have a ton of time. Uh, 
is it just you just diving into movies? I know you own a PlayStation. I do own a PlayStation. I haven't had time to play it in a while. Yeah. And I have God of War, and I have not cracked it open. Man, or, no, I've played like twenty minutes of it, and it was like, yeah, this is really good. I'll come back to this. That's like Dad Game personified. I know, and I haven't, and I haven't done it. Um, I'm, I'm really, I, I do need to take a mental health break at some point, uh, and I haven't figured out what that is. But honestly, right now, uh, as sappy as it sounds, my my kid is my mental health break. Yeah. Like you know, like playing with him and and just seeing what he's into. Like okay, so speaking of which, uh, we watched uh, we we watched a couple of Busta Keaton um, just uh, moments on the internet. He he seems to really like those. He kind of loves the visual gags there. Uh-huh. Um, he's really into. Popples, which is on, which is on Netflix right I now. I know what a popple is. You know what a popple is. Yeah. I did not know what a popple that's was. A, that's a that must be a redo because popples were a stuffed animal from when I think I was a kid. Oh, I didn't. I didn't know these things existed. They, they were all. stuffed animals that like they folded into a ball or an egg, and you could unfold them into a stuffed animal. And you'll like this. I think my wife might have texted you when this happened. Is my son has suddenly become interested in superheroes? Oh yeah, you know I was the fact checker. I was the fact yeah. checker for for them for like a good twenty minutes, and I enjoyed it very very much. Yeah, because he's you know I came home that day and he was like, "What's the Green Lantern?" And I was like, <laughs> "Wait, what?" <laughs> Strap um, in, he's... kid. Let me tell you about Hal Jordan and how he almost destroyed everything. So he's very into the Flash. Uh, we 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 joke that he is the Flash. No, he is Sonic, and I'm the Flash. Oh, that's cool. And uh, we race a lot, and uh, he will. I, I always tell him that one day he's going to get much much faster than me, and I'm going to get much much slower than him. And and he's and he's very excited about. Oh, that. Oh, of course. I mean, how would you not be? I, I you should show him the Sonic movie. Um, I think he's a little young for that. <laughs> is I think he? he's a little young? The the now parenting in uh, quarantine has meant that our oh, our hard and fast rules about screen time is slowly going out the window. Yeah, you're done. Like very, very, you're very. Done. You were done. You know, like we've opened the floodgates now. So um, don't give I, him I'm that PlayStation. Sure don't do it. Oh no, no, he doesn't know what a video game is. Do yet. it. And I, I know. I haven't shown him because he's he is interested in Sonic. I haven't shown him that Sonic is from a video game and that he could play it. Oh um, boy! It's probably it's a pretty age appropriate game. I think uh, you could, he could play Sonic the Hedgehog. I, the the <laughs> thing is, I would not. And this is coming from literally someone who runs a video gaming YouTube channel. Uh, I would not introduce your son for the first time to video games while in quarantine. No, yeah. Uh, as much as I think that gaming a hundred percent is an art and and and. Uh, is an important part of of human history and experience, and can in- deliver incredibly emotional and visceral um, feelings and uh, just joy. Um, that's not the you don't want to be you you don't want to be trapped in there with it. You want to be uh, trapping it with you, if that makes <laughs> yeah. sense. Yeah, uh, yeah. To it's- reverse quote Rorschach. Yeah, I, I'm I'm uh, long for the day that we can go out to the park and hang out and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, those days will so, will soon return. Hopefully, as to quote Gwildor from Masters of the Universe. <laughs> those days will come back. Oh yes. Um, <laughs> everybody, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I hope uh, from all of us here, both Shahir and myself, and and Zoe and the rest of Shahir's family and Jamie, uh, we wish you. Uh, 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 hopefully you're having a, an, an okay uh, same time in, in quarantine and self-isolation. We hope that you and yours are healthy. Uh, we hope that you have lots of movies to watch. Email us in, onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. We've said that like a hundred times this time, but like, let us know if there's some films coming up while we're all stuck here that we could all watch and discuss. One uh, one last thing is that our Honey Boy episode has, uh, I think, officially in my mind, become the Honey Toast episode. Yes, I know. Because I've been on Twitter. The, 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 I understand. I'm not thrilled about it. The thing on Twitter it. is the Honey Toast, uh, and I'm glad. Uh, I think uh, Honey Toast is winning out. Great. Great. Yep. I love I'm it. I'm all about Honey Toast, baby. Jeez. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, you know, just, just Shahir, all I have to say to you is. Oh, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Have it. Let me tell you a story about a man named Oh, uh, we almost made it. We almost made it. And we didn't. Bye. Yeah, baby. Ah. Uh.